Welcome to the StrongTeams.com podcast, where we help leaders build strong teams. Teams built on empathy, understanding, and trust, where every team member feels valued and contributes at the highest level possible. Welcome to the StrongTeams.com podcast. My name is Steve Neesmith. And I'm Rodney Cox. And Rodney, our guest on the podcast today is CEO, author, and speaker, Dennis Allen. Dennis is the author of The Disciple Dilemma, Rethinking and Reforming How the Church Does Discipleship. By the way, discipleship.org also named this book one of its top 10 for 2022. He's a six-time chief executive officer specializing in turnarounds for Wall Street-backed corporations. Dennis speaks at universities, churches, and conferences on the topics of leadership and discipleship. He's also a combat-rated Air Force F-15 fighter pilot and alumnus of the Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics. Dennis, thank you for joining us today on the StrongTeams.com podcast. Stephen, Rodney, I'm to be with you. Dennis, our listeners want to know all about you. I know they're going to be incredibly encouraged with our time together here today, but let's start with you telling our listeners a little bit more about yourself and your family. Well, my rap sheet is uh, pretty boring, but uh, here's a couple of thoughts about it. I'm married to the extraordinary Karen, which is my bride. We have uh, two kids, Matt and Libby, and they're grown and gone and they don't call home enough. And uh, <laughs> my world is uh, is generally in the areas of business. I help in what we call corporate repentance. If you think about the biblical idea of repentance is to turn around. So my world is helping businesses turn around when they're having troubles and get them healthy and operating again. Uh, also, uh, if you just back up a little bit in my life, I was in the Air Force uh, for uh, a few years. And before that, uh, grew up in the South. Uh, two parents, great disciplers, mom and dad still alive today in their 90s. Can't find them at home on Friday night either. So <laughs> that's uh, some of the traffic in our, in our family. Yeah, so you said that you got a military background. Thank you for your service. We are incredibly grateful for your service and the sacrifice that you and your family have made. F-15 pilot, uh, pilot, tell us a little about that. That's got to be fascinating. Well, the uh, the F-15 Eagle is a really cool airplane because it's the only airplane in the history of aviation that's never lost a dogfight. It's a fascinating airplane. And um, there's some great guys who are believers in Christ driving those airplanes. I was discipled by some of them. And, wow, that was an experience all unto itself. Um, it's a lot of fun flying. Uh, uh, we in the Air Force spend a lot of time trying to disciple Navy guys to be better father pods, but they don't pick it up very well. We do the best we can <laughs> with them. It's kind of subpar material, but we love them anyway. Anyway, it's, it's a great life. It was a great adventure. And I'm just so grateful the Lord gave me time to do that, too. Give us a little backstory on your professional journey. How'd you get from the military cockpit, you know, to the boardroom? Um, yeah, the, the story in short is that uh, I was flying one day and the flight surgeon, that's the docs that work with the with pilots, called. He said, hey, bring the airplane home and land it straight in very gently. Don't pull any G's, just come straight home. And uh, it turned out that I had a genetic defect. It was the same genetic heart defect that killed uh, Pistol Pete Maravich mm. when he was playing basketball with James Dobson. Well, that ended my flying career in like 30 seconds. And when that happened, I thought, well, 
what now? And I thought, well, I, I think I got this undergraduate degree in business. I guess I'll go into business. And so I wandered off into the business world and the Lord was gracious to open doors with some wonderful mentors there. And I started getting involved in helping businesses that were having trouble get healthier. And from there, recruiters started asking me to come work with other companies that were having trouble. And so I've enjoyed meeting a lot of wonderful people and helping those people get their businesses back righted and running well again and healthy so that the employees have a job rather than it having to close down or sell out and crash and burn. So it's been a lot of fun enjoying that leadership and watching that leadership and being mentored by a lot of leaders in that world. Yeah, it's nothing better than seeing the light bulbs come on and, you know, people really start living out, you know, better better principles to govern not only their personal life, but obviously their professional life. So tell us a little bit about how, you know, the church and corporate America today kind of parallel each other in this thing called leadership. It was funny to me as I watched the problems that businesses face, and this is an almost repeating script in every business I've been involved in. It is that people in the business world, largely, when you think about the employees that are out there, the folks who are working out there in the trenches, on the manufacturing line, in the offices, they don't know why they're there. They have no idea what's the mission of the business. And in today's Gen Z world, you know, why is an incredibly important part of the reason that I've come to work for somebody. So people didn't know who they were, why they were, what they were, what they were supposed to be doing while they were there. And I started thinking about this in the 90s, and I started going, wait a minute, I'm seeing the same kind of problems in the church. If you look at the statistics today, mm -hmm. much less back in the 90s, you see so many people who think of church as membership, but they don't understand what the mission of the church is. They don't understand as believers who they are, what they're supposed to be. And leaders, interestingly, also struggle with the same problem. They don't know who they are. Are they managers or are they leaders? Is there a difference? Why does it matter? And that became the conversation that led to this whole discussion about the disciple dilemma. So Dennis, you could, you've had so much experience uh, in corporate America. There's so many topics, topics you could write on and speak to in the area of business. What attracted you to the topic of Christian discipleship? Um, when I start this conversation, I usually like to make sure that everybody hears me say this. Number one, um, this is not an attack on pastors. It's not an attack on churches. It's not an attack on ministries. We need pastors. We need churches. We need ministry. We need missions. We need all that stuff. There can be some provocative things that begin to pop up as we talk about it, Stephen. And um, as we go along, if anybody on your podcast hears anything that I say that seems to bother them or really upset them, it's Roddy and Stephen's fault, not mine. They let me on <laughs> so, so how did all this kind of come together? Um, it came together in the sense that as, as we uh, looked at the problems that the discipleship world faced, whether you look at the number of people exiting the church, whether you look at the fact that 80% of the people in the pews have absolutely no interest in Bible study, prayer life, they attend church 1.7 times a month, and they're not even really convinced, this is about 60%, if you look at the research houses talking about it, about 60% of the people in the pews are not even really convinced that Jesus is the exclusive and only way to God. There's got to be some mm -hmm. other ways to go. Mm -hmm. That connects together to the idea that we have a problem with employees in the business world who don't understand their mission and people in the pews who don't understand their mission. 
And at the end of the day, fellows, I think you might agree with me on this. I hope you'll agree with me on this or push me around on it. This is a leadership problem. This is not mm-hmm. the people in the pews and not the people on the assembly line. This is a leadership problem. Yeah, and I would even say this, you know, that pastors and executive pastors a lot of time don't know how to get the people out of the pew and into the work. And because they don't know that, they don't have a process for that. They don't They don't have a... a uh, lack of better word, um, a program for that, then they just steer away from it and they just do business as usual, church as usual. And it's one of the reasons we got involved with a group out of Birmingham, Alabama called Alliance Ministries, a guy named Don Ankenbrandt. And uh, we we uh, come alongside him and put together a project called the 210 Project. And it's about Ephesians 2, 210. And the byline of it is discovering your place in God's story. And it's really about helping pastors engage, right? They're the people in the pew to get them out of the pew and into the work. And uh, it's not a discipleship tool. It's a tool really designed to, to, to just activate them, to get their heart and their mind refocused on the mission of the church. And so uh, we would agree with you wholeheartedly. In fact, we think that the next Reformation will come when that 60% or the 80% of church-attending Protestants actually get up and start doing the work. That's right. That's, that's really one of the things that, uh, uh, Dennis, that really piqued our interest about your book was that it does appear to be aimed at leaders. And we solidly believe uh, that uh, if there's an issue, it's almost always a leadership issue, that uh, it's always rooted in expectations and mission and and that type of thing. And so uh, the fact that uh, there's a lot of books out there about discipling and discipleship, but yours focused on it um, as a leadership issue. Uh, would, would you agree? I mean, is that was that your intention or did that evolve over time? That's the secret sauce right there. This is not a book about discipleship, even though we call it the disciple dilemma. What we're talking about is the dilemma of leadership that doesn't understand mission and they don't understand culture. And guys, you know, most of the seminaries that we talk to Pastors get no training in this territory. Mm -hmm. They don't understand leadership from the standpoint of why is a culture important? And by the way, I thought the mission was to build buildings and to get a lot of people to show up. And that's not the mission Christ gave us in Scripture. It's just not there. So it's absolutely a book about leadership. And it's absolutely a book, if we could use the provocative line, that discipleship has been hacked. It's been hacked Mm -hmm. by a malware virus that's 18 centuries old. And it's allowed so much of a mudslide or an avalanche, if you will, to overwhelm what we think of as biblical Christianity. We're standing on a mudslidden ground thinking we're on the base rock, the bedrock that Christ Mm -hmm. gave us. We're not really there. Parts of it we can see. Parts of it we follow. Churches are great things, right? They're wonderful. Ministry and missions are wonderful things. But the core of discipleship that Christ gave us isn't there. And it's up to leaders to get that culture right, because the people in the pews can't affect culture. Only the leaders can do that. So are you speaking to the core reason why discipleship is declining? We're actually trying to take a run at that. And, uh, you know, I'm not a theologian. I'm I'm a business guy. So uh, I would love for somebody to blow this thesis completely up and say, man, you got this completely wrong. We think you're a loser. You need to go away. And I'll go back to the business world. I'll be a happy camper. But What we are trying to tell people is we think that this malware virus that started 18 centuries ago after Christ has slowly eclipsed what we believe to be discipleship. 
illustration. If you go to modern day Jerusalem, you ever been to the Holy Land and you go walking around in the old town of Jerusalem, you go, wow, look at these shops. This is where Jesus walked. Well, the truth is, no, that's not where Jesus walked. You got to go 40 to 150 feet down to find the place where Jesus walked. There's been avalanches. Of course, the place has been destroyed by incoming invading armies and it's eclipsed. It's overwhelmed what we would say was the real place. In the same way in biblical discipleship, we're missing some pieces. We've got the partial solution and it's up to leaders to lean in on this and say, what are the symptoms? Is there really a problem? What are the causes? What are we going to do about it? That's the leadership question, I think. That is, that's so refreshing to hear that. I, I think uh, Rodney and I have talked about this. I think that it's great to have fresh eyes on important issues like this. And what I mean fresh eyes, I'm talking about folks like Dennis that uh, have their, their faithful believers. Uh, they're involved in ministry, but they've got more time also outside of that, uh, of that ministry. Maybe it might be in the military. It might be in corporate America where they can give this issue fresh eyes and really call it out for what it is. And uh, we couldn't agree with you more, Dennis. Uh, it's, a, it's a leadership issue. And Dennis, you know, so the difference between Discipleship 1.0 and Discipleship 2.0, can you explain the difference between those to our listeners? Yeah, that's a good question to ask, Roddy. Um, in the book, we talk about Discipleship 2.0 as being the modern day version of stuff that we're sure Jesus never got around to thinking about. So we're going to upgrade the package and put all this cool stuff in there, and it's going to make discipleship better. For example, if we become a powerful church, powerful in the sense that we have great political power, power in the sense that we have great influence over society, power in the sense that we can call the morality shots in the world, we will be a wonderful group of disciples, except Jesus didn't set it up that way. That's one example of the 2.0 version. The version 1.0 is precisely what Christ laid out, which is come and see. Mm -hmm. Once you come and see, make a choice. It's an unconditional surrender. Once you are unconditionally surrendered, not this is not a negotiation, unconditionally surrendered, then you follow Christ, not to the right, not to the left. You're pursuing Christ. It's a change in muscle memory for the rest of your life. It's a change in your spiritual DNA. It's a complete revision. It's a morphing, as Romans 12 would talk about, the metamorpho of a person's life. And whether you're thinking about this, by the way, from a business point of view, getting your employees to understand their mission and pursue fully, or you're looking at it from a Christian point of view, the idea of being focused and following the leader, who in this case is Christ, is critical. And in discipleship, we've allowed power We've allowed conversionism. I mean, let's just get them saved and park them in a pew somewhere. And a number of other factors that we talked about, there's six we brought up. Those things are interesting, but those things are not biblical. And until we get back to the version 1.0, what we're doing is we're playing with a cloned software that doesn't work. Hmm. Yeah, and the power of following mission, not the leader, right, is really, really important because if something happens to the leader, the mission continues. And a lot of times we get our eyes off of that. And if we don't have people emotionally involved and connected to the mission, then, you know, the leader sets the tone and, and, the, and the culture versus, um, you know, the mission doing, doing a lot of that. Can you speak to that just a little bit? One of the most difficult things I find in the business world is for people to think mission first. That's the first reflexive thought that goes through their mind, 
rather than live with, uh, there's some popular books out like Tyranny of the Urgent. You know, mm -hmm. my job is to put out fires every day. Firefighting is a lot of fun. There's a crisis over here. Let's run over and fix this crisis. There's a budget problem over here. Let's go take care of that. We need some more money for the organization. Those are important things, but those aren't the mission things. What's the mission? And everything that I do from picking out the donuts on a Friday morning meeting to the strategic planning that I'm doing in a corporate office has to be pulled through the keyhole of what the mission is all about. If we don't use the mission as a reflexive foundation for everything that we do, eventually, Metrics, budgets, and management will eat your mission for lunch and leave it in the ditch. And then you're into that great parabolic trajectory of nothingness that will take your corporation or your disciples down. Yeah, it's just the proverbial waste of time, right? I show up and then I go home. I show up, I go home, but I'm really not making a difference. I'm really not executing on the mission. You know, That's right. in your book, you talk about some reasons why discipleship has been ignored and you deal with these words, persecution, distraction, power and popularity. Unpack those four words for us just for a moment. Sure. When you think about the idea of uh, causes, root causes, we, we quoted a few moments ago some symptoms, people leaving churches, people who are sort of inert in their faith. Those are symptoms. That's like I'm sneezing. I've got a sore throat. Maybe I've got a cold. Those aren't the cold, they're the symptoms. In discipleship, those things we just talked about numerically, statistically, are those symptoms. Now, let's go to the cause, because Rodney's pointing precisely where we want to point. This is where leaders need to look at this. One cause that we talked about was this whole idea of uh, lordship in Christ is optional. The main thing is just to get saved. Mm. Most evangelical Christian churches today inadvertently in some cases and overtly in other cases, focus on just get them saved, put them in the pew, make them a member. If you go all the way back to the fourth century, there's a guy named Eusebius and he was dealing with this problem of optional lordship. And as the persecutions came on, people said, it's a little too hot for me. I'm checking out. I'm going to turn in my library card. I'm going to take a little trip. I'll come back when things cool off. While lots of other believers were dying for their faith. Now, before you uh, get really frustrated because I'm saying, well, gee whiz, if you're being threatened with your life or your family's being threatened, that's, that's a pretty good reason to take off. Fair enough. But read the whole story. Those people came back to Eusebius and the others and they said, look, we just want to get saved. We want all of our credits back in the church. We want to be treated as if we never left. Meanwhile, all these other thousands and thousands of people died. Persecution whether it's just the difficulties in our first world nation of living in life and my cell phone doesn't work, or it's as horrid as someone's taking your family and annihilating them for their faith, persecution is there under the sovereign God's capacity to be able to make us better people. Even though he's not the implementer of evil, he is taking those things for our good. And optional lordship is not part of the equation. Mm. So when we think about power, I want to control people. When we think about persecution, I want to run people away. Those sorts of things are distractions to the disciple whose call is to lay down our life. Jesus told us to count the cost to be sure that we understand that we are surrendering, taking up our cross daily, and we're following him, not to the left, not to the right, following him. That's good mission leadership for businesses and for believers. Dennis, what advice would you give ministry leaders today to kind of help them prioritize discipleship in their church or ministry? We like to always um, 
be tactical as well, strategic in the the information that we put out there. We want to help people that are, are, are wanting to know, especially in ministry, how do I get started tomorrow? Uh, what advice would you give a ministry leader that's that's heard our discussion today, is convinced they need to prioritize uh, discipleship in their church and uh, they just don't know where to even start? The first question you've got to ask yourself is, is there really a problem? We listed in the front end of our book a series of statistics that we think make a good case, but you've got to decide whether or not there's a problem. If discipleship is going great in your church, everything is just wonderful, they're making disciples, people are coming in and coming to Christ, well, maybe you don't have a problem. You'd be in the 2% category statistically, but maybe you don't have a problem. If there's a problem, the second thing you've got to get is a wingman. You've got to get somebody who's flying alongside you who knows your ins and outs. They can look at you and they know what's going on in your life. They can support you in the fight and help you convince other people in your organization about what's going on. The missing piece of discipleship, both for leaders and for just the followers in the pew, is this idea of wingmen, that we are paired up in Christ. You don't see that in churches. Who's helping me? Did I start with a mentor who made me better? That's my wingman. Am I flying now in my work? In my community, in the arts, in government, whatever I'm doing, am I flying my life with a wingman who knows me and can help me? If you don't know that there's a problem, that's an issue. If you don't have a wingman, that's a problem. And if your people aren't willing to come along on the journey, that's a culture change problem. And the leaders have got to make a decision about whether or not they're willing to engage that and run with it. Those are sort of three basic pieces, Stephen, I would toss out as a starter. So, Dennis, you know, you talk about this wingman and the importance of it. You know, what we tend to see inside of the church today is more isolation than ever before. Like, actually, the the more leadership responsibility that you have, it seems like the more isolated that you become and that you really individually aren't journeying with anyone else. So how do you actually authentically help others do that? You know, it's an incredibly difficult problem today because the American motif is I'm the lone wolf, need nothing from nobody. And especially if I'm a pastor or I'm one of the big shots as a small group leader or an elder or ministry leader or something, I don't want anybody close to me because if they found out who I was, man, oh, that, that'd be terrible, right? And that's the American mindset, but that's not the biblical mindset. Mm -hmm. The biblical mindset is, do I have the courage in Christ to let you see my faults, the real stuff in my life, and come alongside me and make me better? In the, in the airplane uh, illustrations we give, sometimes we talk about it like this. If you're flying the world's greatest airplane, which, by the way, is the F-15, and all you Navy guys can just be jealous, but the F-15 <laughs> is the greatest, greatest fighter plane in the whole universe, right, ever built. You can go into a battle space and you can do a lot of damage. But if you're a single airplane flying over enemy territory by yourself, you are in grave danger. But when you pair up with a wingman, you're almost indestructible in that battle space because those two guard each other six o'clock. Those two go into the fight together. Those two support and leverage themselves in the same way in believers who need to be disciples. You can't do this solo. The Bible doesn't let you do it solo. Jesus didn't model it to be solo. You've got to have a wingman. And pastors, if you don't have a wingman, if you don't have a mentor who knows your life, and you don't have somebody in your church who's alongside you who can call you at two in the morning and say, what are you doing? What's going on with you? You're in grave danger. And that's a flaw in the discipling system of America that we've got to get over. That's the wingman. 
What uh, what great practical advice. Good word. Very good word. So, Dennis, as we bring our interview to a close here, I know there's always things that I miss uh, when, when we when we craft our questions during our interview time. And one of the things that always I like to end with is if if I what is the one question maybe I should have asked you today or that you wished I would have asked you? And how would you have answered that question? I would ask the question, what if we just don't worry about it? We let the Lord fix it. We'll get more of what we already have, won't we? And probably even a whole lot worse. (laughs) We all serve a sovereign Lord. We will not be able to deny, deflect, or divert what God wants done. That's number one. Let's set that to the side for a minute. And then let's look at this. God demands that you have no optionality as a disciple. You are to follow him. Your job is to get up every day, stand firm in the faith, fly with your wingman, operate as a disciple. If we don't do something about discipleship, this is my prediction. Maybe I'm doing sort of a Peter Zihan type thing looking at geopoliticals, but this is the this is the problem that we're facing. We are replicating at a rapid rate brittle, fragile disciples in the Western world today because mm. they do not understand who they are, why they are, what is their purpose, what is their meaning discipleship brings that to life. And by the way, a discipleship that just picks up some ideas and stops, dies. Discipleship is the idea. When, when, when Matthew 28 speaks of go make, the right way to interpret that is in your continuous progression, bring others alongside of all nationalities and keep on being disciples. It's no retirement plan, no opting out. That's where we've got to go or we're going to keep on cranking out a big hole in the bucket where people leave and the stuff that stays in the bucket is brittle, fragile, and not what Christ intended. You can find out more about Dennis and his work at thedisciplededilemma.com. That's thedisciplededilemma.com. And I'd strongly encourage you to pick up a copy of his book, The Disciple Dilemma. And Dennis, uh, Steve and I'd like to just personally thank you once again for your service. And we want to thank you again for spending time with us here today. I know our listeners will be incredibly encouraged by the nuggets of truth about discipleship that you have shared uh, today. Thank you. Rodney and Stephen, thank you for your ministry, building leaders. That's a big, big reach. Thanks for what you're doing for Christ. Well, until we meet again, God bless. God bless.